morning, church. The peace of the Lord be with you. I'm just trying to make sure that I keep the time because, uh, as you know, we have our AG, half an hour AGM at the tail end. Please stay with us. Don't leave. Um, because I want to tell you a lot of stuff that's happening in our church and around the city as, uh, and to share with you what exciting things are coming up this year. Uh, so we will actually skip the announcements right now. Oh, no more announcements. But uh, uh, only one. Only one. Bing. So invitations are now on the table for the Good Friday community dinner. Uh, I will be mailing these out to the various people around our city. Uh, but I hope that you will pick up some before you leave to hand out to your coworker, colleagues, neighbors, and enemies. <laughs> All right? Because we want to love our enemies. I know it sounded awful. It's even recorded on tape. Okay, so, but I really encourage you to utilize these things uh, to invite people. Uh, one of my things that I, I am committed to do in Crucible Church is to create opportunities for you to invite people, invite your friends and family and colleagues. Uh, spaces that are safe for conversations about our faith, but also to just uh, share life together, right? Amen? So please utilize these things. And you know, it is free, so like this gotta encourage people to come, right? So I'll do my part. I will be handing these out around the city, but I hope you do your part in handing them out to the people you know. Because you know more, you know who you know that I don't know. Didn't come already. Okay? And then the sign-up forms, the sign-up sheet is out at the front to sign yourself up for the dinner as well. Okay, looking forward to it. March 30th, by the way. All right, let's get into the message today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, part 2. But it's not, I'm not going to start right at chapter 2 because Pastor Fritz ended off at verse 18 in chapter 1 which is great because actually this next part goes from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to the end of verse 16 in chapter 2. So if you are actually mapping out this and are very studious about, oh, I should map out 1 Corinthians into structure, well, this structure of the second part of 1 Corinthians starts actually in verse 18 of chapter 1 all the way to verse 16 of chapter 2. All right, so let me just uh, start off by reading the message, but before we begin, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this blessed day. Weatherman was wrong, and we're so thankful for that. It is bright and sunny out there, and we're just so thankful for the sunshine. And Lord, as I speak your word, help me, enable me, fill me with your spirit so that your word speaks and not my own. And allow my sisters and brothers before me that, they help, that help them to live in your word so that they could live out your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the passage today starts at chapter 1, verse 18. So Follow me, or if you have your Bibles, turn to it. Verse 18. Slide. All right, let me read it. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligent of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 21. For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the Gentiles, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Chapter 2, verse 1. And so it is was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the, the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is God's word. And you say, praise be to God. All right, anyway. Last week, Pastor Fritz took us through the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. And as a quick recap, here's a summary of what he said. By the way, please take these summaries down because it's a freakishly long letter. And so if, we, if you don't put these summaries down and you don't write them down, you, you will lose track. And the trouble is with a lot of us preachers, sometimes we lose track. And we focus way too much on a passage without re remembering what the summaries were before, so we lose the context. You follow? So you've got to remember to keep these summaries on, on your piece of paper or on the margins of your Bible, if you still have one. And just uh, remember to mark these down. Okay? So what is the central point of Pastor Fritz's chapter 1? Well, we titled 1 Corinthians as Growing Pains, did we not? So before you grow, what needs to happen? Okay, serenade. What's happening? Going to happen with serenade? <laughs> Birth. <laughs> All right. Like born. You gotta be born, right? You, you got. You guys got it. Okay. So before you grow, you need to be born. So it's called born again, right? We Christians call it born again. So you need to be born again. So the central point for Fritz's sermon was what? You were sinners, and now you're born again in Christ. Christ is the center of everything now. And follow that throughout the whole letter. That was his official message to the Corinthians. That's what's important now. You are born again in Christ. Before you were sinners, fallen, a wreck. And now, because of Christ's death and resurrection, you are now victors. You are in Christ as victors. You're saved. And Christ has to be the center of everything in your life. Follow? Now, next central point. So what's the next central point? And so I will show you a video about the next central point. All of this should have stopped. Diana. The fighting should you don't, have you don't stopped. Have time to Why are they doing this? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, Eris I is know dead. They can stop fighting now. I, Why are they still because fighting? That's because maybe, maybe it's them. Maybe... Maybe people aren't always good. Aries or no Aries. Maybe it, it's just, it's who they are. Diana. No. Diana, we can talk about this later. No. I need you to come with no, me. No, right after now. everything I saw, it can't be, it cannot be. They were killing each other. Killing people they cannot see, children. Children. No, it had to be him. It cannot be them. Diana, people... I, that's... I, I... She was right. My mother was right. She said the world of men do not deserve you. They don't deserve our help. It's, 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 not, it's not about deserve. deserve it's help. not... Maybe, maybe we don't. But, but it's not about that. It's about what you believe. You don't think I get it after what I've seen out there? 
You don't think I wish I could tell you that it was one bad guy to blame? It's not. Uh, we're all to blame. I'm not. But maybe I am. <sighs> Please, if you believe that this war should stop, if you want to stop it, help me stop it right now. Because if you, if you don't, they will kill thousands more. Please, please come with me. I have to go. I have to go. So, so central point number one. Christ is the center of everything. Now Paul says, okay, now you're growing. You're growing now. What needs to happen next? Detox. Detox. Whatever you knew before, you need to detox it. But what were the Corinthians needed to do? To, what, what was the thing that they needed to detox? So when you saw that clip, Wonder Woman says, Wonder Woman says that they don't deserve our help. Right? You got it? They don't deserve it. They should be punished. They were evil. They kill people. They don't deserve it. You reap what you sow. What you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth type of thing. Follow? That's what she's alluding to. We have another fancy word for that. And that is, anybody guess? Karma. Karma. Oh, well, you guys cheated. Oh, wait. Re you know the recycling commercials? Karma, right? What you put in, you get back. What you reap, what, that's what you sow. What you didn't do, that's going to come haunt you. What you did, it's going to come back to reward you. Follow? This morning, we'll unpack this central point by studying this word, this karma. And my central point is this, and I guess you're going to write this down. You should. Karma sees Jesus' cross as foolishness because it takes away what you and I deserve. Karma sees Jesus' cross as foolishness because it takes away what you and I deserve. And that's what Paul is telling the Corinthians. Detox that. Detox karma. And sometimes I wonder, today, for all of us, we might even have that a little bit of karma. Not for us, but for our enemies. For the people we don't like. Oh, you deserve it. You should have, yeah, you, you know, you were drinking, you deserve it. You sin, you deserve it. You lie, you deserve it. That type of thing. Karma, detox. Paul says, we gotta get rid of it. So let's begin. But, so what are, what are we gonna do? We're gonna first unpack this funny word called wisdom. Now why do I wanna focus on wisdom? Wisdom is mentioned 15 times in the first Corinthians. 15. 13 of them are in the first two chapters. 13 of them are in the first two chapters. So let's go over them. I'm going to quickly go over them. Verse 19, wisdom of the wise. Verse 20, wisdom of the world. Verse 21, wisdom of God. Verse 22, Greeks look for wisdom. Verse 24, wisdom of God. Verse 25, human wisdom. Verse 30, wisdom from God. Now over to chapter 2. Human wisdom, human wisdom, wisdom among the mature, wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. God's wisdom. This is human wisdom. You follow? And if you have like, uh, studied the Bible with me, done any Bible studies with me, you know that whenever you see a repeated word, what does that mean? It's important. 
And so that's why we have today, this morning, we got to look at wisdom. But what in the world is this wisdom? What is Paul referring to when he says wisdom? Is it, by, is it like academics? Is it like you could throw away your CPA degree? No, I'm not saying that to Angel. Like you're not throwing away your CPA degree. I am not saying that you throw away every single acquisition of the like, thing that you have. What is the wisdom that Paul is talking about? Well, apparently there are two types of wisdom that's mentioned here. Wisdom of the world, human wisdom, versus wisdom of God. First, let's take a look at the wisdom of the world. What is it? If it's not our degrees, what is it? Well, Paul is arguing against that this wisdom, first of all, does not even match God's wisdom. Even a little morsel of this human wisdom cannot compare to God's wisdom. It's going to be shamed. It's going to be made foolish, this little bit of morsel. And so we go, okay, Paul, great. But then what's this wisdom, Paul? And then yet Paul goes, what, you don't know? And then you would go, no, <laughs> right? And then and he goes, well, go find out. And then you go, well, in 1 Corinthians, he you don't describe wisdom. Where is it? But he does. Paul gives us a hint. It's in the Old Testament. So if you could turn quickly to your Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13 to 14. So I'll read verse, chapter 1, verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Paul quoted an Old Testament passage. Okay, you see that? For it is written. That's Old Testament. And what it means is that he gave us a hint. It's a footnote. And we go all the way back to Isaiah 29, verse 13 to 14. Here it is. The Lord says, these people come nearer to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Verse 14, therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Paul quoted this passage. And what he meant was, go read the whole entire chapter or even the entire book of what I meant but we don't have time to do that. So luckily, you have Jonathan Chan up here, and I will explain it to you. All right, you guys didn't get it. All right, so how does God define wisdom here then? Human rules. You follow? In Isaiah, he said, God said, human rules. So what's the wisdom here? Human rules. Rules that the Israelites created to keep them in line and make sure that their salvation was in check and was safe. Okay? Achieve these rules, they say. Score as many points on your report card, they say. And the closer you get to being saved, they say. That's what human rules God was talking about. Now, don't get me wrong, rules are good. They, they have their place. Like, look at our worship service. There's a rules of engagement in our worship service, or else it'll be chaos. The reason why we have rules here the order of worship is for, to enable us to not be burdened with the chaos and just focus primarily on God. So rules do have their place in life, right? However, rules also have a dark side. Why? Well, rules can give us the idea of doing the bare minimum, right? Just fulfill what's written on the book, and I'm good, right? Or rules can go say like this, oh, as long as I fulfill the rules, I'm good. As long as I go to church every Sunday, as long as I read the Bible every week, as I, I'm good, I'll go to heaven. Those type of rules. Rules could also limit our creativity, our innovation, and what's worse, rules can limit 
our vision of who God is and prevents us from knowing God more and more and be open to the mysteries of God and his power. Like, we need like, okay, I know the rules of God and that's it. But God's far bigger than us. And God has, God's mysteries are still yet to be known. But if we keep God in a box of rules, we prevent ourselves from actually going to God for immense powerful things that he could do. He could move mountains. That's not our rules of engagement. Rules can also nurture pride, self-righteousness. For instance, rules could say, well, you know what? Look at me. I fulfilled all 10 commandments, Jesus. I deserve eternal life. Remind you of someone? Look at me. Ever since I was young, I fulfilled everything. And then Jesus goes, oh, really? Let's try number one, <laughs> right? And, and it's only he goes, oh, yeah, okay. But rules limits us, but rules also nurtures pride because, hey, we go, hey, look, I fulfilled my report card. I'm clean. I should be going to heaven. So are you following me? Rules. Rules also create discrimination and marginalization. They think about it. Back in the New Testament, a paralyzed guy cannot serve at church. He's paralyzed. He has no arms, no legs. He can't speak. He's blind. How can you serve a church? But the people at church say, well, he's not fulfilling the rules, so he's a sinner, and he can't get to heaven. What? So rules also create discrimination and marginalization. God said that we, like right now, he's telling us as a church, we would rather make sure we attend every Sunday service and just pay him lip service, just to fulfill the bare minimum and nothing more. And unfortunately, this wisdom as I said, creates the pride, the self-righteousness, the thing that says, I have an immaculate report card, so I get to go to heaven. I fulfilled every single rule on this book, and therefore I, on karma, deserve to go to heaven. Okay? That's what karma is. I fulfilled every rule, so I get to go. Oh, by the way, God, now that I'm praying about it, you know that guy, my coworker that smokes, and he slept with somebody else, and that such and such and such, and, she did, and he did such a bad thing? Give him what he deserves. So I deserve this because I fulfill all my rules, but give him what he deserves according to what he put out. Give me what according to what I put out. Give him what he, according to he put out. Still following me? So this wisdom of the world, as mentioned before, this karma, human rules, this is the, human, this is the world wisdom of the world that God is referring to. So as we continue our journey in Corinthians, they too developed rules, which led them to believe that karma was their wisdom. So many rules that they even prevented the poor from being fed because in their eyes they did not deserve it because they didn't follow the rules. Well, of course not, dude. The poor can't tithe, right? There's poor, they don't have money. And yet the Corinthians go, well, because they're not tithing, they do not deserve to be at the Lord's Supper. And then Paul says, that's completely wrong. The Corinthians had report cards to determine who was more Christian. And if you couldn't meet those, no matter what the reason, being poor, you'll get what you deserve. You get what you put in. Now, Pastor Fritz, he brought us one example of one rule. And what was it? You follow Paulus' way of life, you follow Peter's way of life, and you follow uh, uh, Paul's way of life. Oh, look at that. That guy follows Jesus' way of life. That's rules. 
right? Uh, you follow Paul, five points. You follow Apollos, 10 points. You follow Jesus, 50 points. You get it? So it's all about whatever you put in. That's what the Corinthians believe. And that's why that, that whole debate in chapter one is that if I follow this guy's pattern of way of life, I get this many points. If I follow this, I get this many points. So let's all try hard and get many points. But if you suck, you suck, <laughs> right? You suck the video, you're gonna to go to hell. See ya, right? That's it. Okay, let's move on. So what is God's wisdom then? What is this wisdom that karma sees as foolishness? First Corinthians chapter one, verse 23 to 24. Am I moving too fast? No? Okay, good. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Verse 24, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So what is this wisdom of God? Jesus Christ. Right? You see it? Jesus Christ, the one who is and the one who provides us with righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He is the wisdom of God that karma, the world, the Greeks, the Jews, see as a stumbling block and utterly foolish. So why does karma think that a crucified Jesus, who is the wisdom of God, foolish? Why does karma say that it's, uh, like karma says it's up to you and what you do in order to become righteous, holy, and redeemed. It's up to you, karma says. You. It's all about getting what you put in. And if you can't fulfill them, well, you fall short, right? You can't meet them. Jesus' cross, Jesus himself, says it's not about you. It's about me. That's, what's fool That's why it's foolish. Karma sees that you deserve it. Jesus says you don't. Because I paid it. You follow? Karma sees that that guy deserves it. Karma sees that, no, you should be rewarded the heavenly rewards, like the righteousness, the holiness, and the redemption. Jesus' cross, Jesus says, no, everyone has the opportunity to deserve it. Everyone has a chance, even at their deathbed. They still have a chance, because it's in me. We can't, hence, leave karma, like, we just can't leave karma to do that type of stuff on us. Agree? If we, can, if we leave karma and say, and say, well, we do put what we deserve and we put in what we can, like think of all the stupid stuff that we've done. Karma would say, you're toast. But Jesus says, yeah, I know that's all the stupid stuff you've done, but I offer redemption from it. I'm gonna give you something you don't deserve, but I also will take away something that you do deserve. So Paul says that kindness, justice and righteousness, holiness and redemption, what does he say? It's in Christ. There is no karma. You won't get what you deserve because it is through Jesus. You are kind, just, righteous, holy and redeemed because of Jesus. So our acts, our acts of kindness, justice, righteousness, is not for karma's sake, it's not for points, right? It's not to get points and report cards and clean report cards, no. Why are we kind? Why are we doing acts of righteousness? It's because it's our gratitude that comes out of it. We are so grateful, we are floored, that we just can't help but to share the gospel through our acts of love and through our words, right? Because he just literally removed what we deserve and gave us stuff that we don't deserve and, like, and gave us stuff that we don't deserve, right? Guess what those two words are? Grace and mercy, thank you. 
grace and mercy. Grace, by definition, is to be given what you don't deserve, and mercy is to be not given what you frictiously deserve. <laughs> All right, you follow? So in Jesus, we have grace and mercy. Karma says, that's foolish. So stupid. How could anyone believe that? You're supposed to reap what you sow. How can somebody, one man, take away everything from you? And that's why we're foolish. That's why we're called foolish. How could one man save the whole frictiously entire world of 4.2 billion people through that concept? How can my coworker or your coworker or your friend or whoever you know you feel that, man, they're really sinning, how could they at their deathbed, then suddenly receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, everything's clean. That's Jesus. And that's why Paul's described this wisdom, this wisdom of God, this way. 1 Corinthians 2, 6. Wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Guess what? He means in context, it's not the wisdom of Elon Musk. It's not the wisdom of... Uh, of what's he skipped my mind. Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg. It's not about their wisdom. It's not about the wisdom of Jim Pattison. Yeah. Uh, don't get me talking about Jim Pattison. But it, and it, it's not the wisdom of those people. It's not about the wisdom of the business people. Like, like I've been to a lot of business conferences. There's a lot of it. Had, they, what do they say? It's all about you. Right? It's all how you put into it. You got to build your stock value. You got to build your resume. And if you can't, you're screwed. Right? The rulers, philosophers, teachers, they all believe in karma. And that's the academic way, unfortunately, back in Corinth, what Pastor Fritz said. You get what you put into it. But Jesus and his cross says no. Jesus takes everything that we deserve, which is all the penalties of our sin, by his mercy and by his grace, we are given what we don't deserve. Righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And that's why Paul, who used to believe in karma, he believed in karma, right? He's from that Pharisaic world, says that he speaks with great fear and trembling. Why? Because A, he's going to face his peers and say this. He's going to be freaked out because you know why? They're, he's, they're going to reject him. So that's why he's just speaking in fear and trembling. But B, because he cannot believe this because the only way he could come to this knowledge of this saving wisdom is only by the Holy Spirit. Amen? only by the Holy Spirit, and that's why he's floored. And that's why when I show you this next picture, he's off his horse. Right, remember this story? Jesus came down, said, Paul, well, you know what? A lot of theologians say that there was more that Jesus said to him by the Spirit. And that, that stuff that they said was that, guess what, in Jesus Christ you are now saved. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you think that you deserve, you are saved, redeemed, and holy and righteous. And Paul fell off his horse. Literally. <laughs> right? Read the story. Right? He fell off his horse. Because it's beyond academics. It's beyond what he thought. How could it be? How can this be? That Jesus Christ, my Savior, saved me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, verse 12 and 13. These are the things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Holy Spirit, come. We pray each day for the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, right? Every morning we begin by saying, Holy Spirit, come. 
Come afresh on me, renew me. Why? Detox me of what I know that's false. Give me your wisdom, not the world's wisdom. Okay, I'm gonna use Bono. Bono on Bono. There's a, he wrote a book in 2006, but here's an excerpt from it. And it's, and it's really, it just speaks loudly about what I mean by this grace and mercy. He begins like this. It's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, right? A real relationship with people. But the things that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. As you read So Will You Sow stuff, it's upended. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I'm sure I have too. Just ask my wife. I have a lot of stupid stuff. That's between me and God. And yeah, that's between me and God, by the way, by guys. But I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to have be finally my judge. I'd be in deep shit. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out did not come back to us. Right? Amen? And that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. That's the point. It should keep us humbled. It's not our own good works that get through the gates of heaven. If only we could be a bit more like him, the world will be transformed. He continues, all I do is get up on the cross of the ego, the bad hangover, the bad review. When I look at the cross of Christ, what I see up there is all my shit and everybody else's. So I ask myself a question. A lot of people have asked, who is this man? And was he who he said he was, or was he just a religious nut? And there it is, and that's the question. And no one can talk you into it or out of it. Grace, mercy. Grace, you are given, brothers and sisters, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. We didn't deserve it. I'm sure all of us have our dark valleys, dark corners, cupboards that are closed. We don't deserve it. Punishment, death. That's what we deserve. But he took it away. Mercy. On the cross. That's foolishness of this world today. No, 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 no. You deserve it. Jesus says, no, you don't. Recall the Wonder Woman video. Diana, Wonder Woman, was raised by the belief in karma. It's obvious because if you saw the movie, she's a Greek, you know, goddess philosophy and everything. She says, evil deserves punishment and good deserves life. But we believe in something that flips karma on its head. We believe we are all sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Amen. And therefore, at this point, I also have to let just, I just feel that we need another calling. For those who may not be baptized, 
and you're thinking about that baptism, our baptism is coming up in summer. May you pray that what has been revealed in this passage, this is what the gospel is, folks, for you and I. If you are moved by this, and if you go, yes, Lord, I want, like, I believe this. Well, guess what? That's what baptism is. It's the whole visual, visual evidence of an internal reality that's going in your heart. It's that Jesus has redeemed you. Jesus has paid the price. And baptism is just a reflection of that, that your old self is detoxed, it's dead, and now you are rose from, rose from the dead and into new life. So if you are considering baptism, please come to me, email me, chat with me. I would love to dunk you in the backyard of Brian Ho's house. And right after that, we'll have barbecue again. Amen? All right, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom that, Lord, it's not about what we gain, what we deserve, what we pay into it, what we do. It's all about Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your son who died for our sins, rose to life for our hope in resurrection, for a hope of new life, and that today we are living that new life. And we're so thankful. And I pray for my sisters and brothers who may not have made the commitment to be baptized, that I pray for them that they continue to dwell in your spirit, that your spirit will move their hearts to just navigate what was said this morning and how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.